We are in the condition we are in, in the state of ignorance we are in, in the state of war, in the state of economic depression, in the state of depletion of the resources of our planet because of the greed of psychopaths who thought they could create their own reality. Well, look at the reality they created. You're listening to The Truth Perspective on the Soft Radio Network, the world for people who think. everyone. It is May 20th, or no, sorry, May 30th, 2015. This is The Truth Perspective. I'm your host for today, Harrison Cayley. With me is my co-host, Elon Martin. Hey, everyone. And joining us again, SOD editor Shane Lachance. Hello. We're going to talk about ISIS today. The show was titled The ISIS Vaccine, but we're actually not going to talk about vaccines. But we do have a little ISIS vaccine, I think, coming up in the next hour plus. But first, we're going to cover some news bites from around the world before we get into that. So, getting right into it, um, just some interesting stories that caught our attention over the last week or so. I guess we can start with Joe Biden, the place to start. Uh. <laughs> yeah, we'll start off the show with a bang, a Biden bang. He recently told Brookings Institute, that Washington think tank, that we... I don't know who we is, if he's using the royal we or America or, I don't know, his his family maybe, his small group of friends. Anyways, we will not recognize any nation having a sphere of influence, he said. I think the we is just psychopaths, maybe. Yeah. Well, yeah. well, anyways, it doesn't make much sense any way you look at it. Uh, Matt Lee was actually there, the AP guy that is known for asking pointed questions to the um, talking heads like Saki and Arth. And so he asked, well, no, he wasn't there. He later asked the State Department spokesman, Jeff Rathke. Coming to prep for Armageddon, Jehovah's ready to bring on the Eschaton. 
another prison in the land of the free, in the home of the brave, the smart ones flee. They'll be leaving in droves by boat, plane, or bus. Baby, this ain't your grandma's accident. Okay. Looks like and we're who's back, hopefully. responsible for this? Neocon Zion. All right, we're back. So we'll just continue where we left off there. I have no idea what happened. We were logged in everything. So first of all, can any, can everyone hear us all right now? Are we good? Okay. So, yeah, we're talking about Joe Biden. I'll just read the quotes again just to... Make sure they got on there. So at first, first he said, we will not recognize any nation having a sphere of influence at the Brookings Institute. He said, we're not looking for regime change or any fundamental alteration of circumstances inside Russia. We're looking for Putin to, in our view, act rationally. So I was just about to say that I think that, um, well, I think Biden was quite clear in his language there to, in our view, act rationally. So he's making pretty clear that he himself has a different definition of rationality than probably the rest of the world. So I think you're probably onto something there, Shane, when the the we in that first statement probably refers to himself and uh, his kind. Well, it's a it's pretty odd statement to make that we won't recognize any nation that has a sphere of influence. So does that mean any nation that acts on some court without, you know, um, under the direction of the United States, pretty much? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so only the U.S. is allowed to have a sphere of influence, I guess. Uh, well, the other thing is, you know, he seems to be addressing uh, the concern that uh, the U.S. is trying to destabilize Russia pretty directly. And, um, you know, if so, why would he? why would he be saying, of course, that's what they're doing. Uh, why would he be saying that to a group like the Brookings Institution that makes a point of sitting around a table all day and figuring out how to destabilize Russia? Um, I don't think that Biden and the administration have the power to, despite what they think, to actually uh, decide these things. Puppets, they're given their orders. Um, so was this, uh, was this statement made for mass consumption? I think it was just a public display of idiocy. <laughs> yeah, that real time. I mean, it's funny that this kind of comes, uh, just after we saw, you know, the, the carry visit, because, you know, mm-hmm. it's just more of the same. And, you know, that's pretty much what we were saying when we were talking about, uh, that visit that, you know, we're not going to see any fundamental change in, you know, the foreign policy of the U.S. and, yeah, I mean, the U.S. has a reputation to hold as being, yeah, as not making any sense, just making absurd, asinine statements. And so, you know, you got to hand it to Biden for living up to expectations. You can't just change your entire image overnight. Um, exactly. Not only is it difficult, you just don't want to do it. You, I mean, the U.S. has had this image for so long. I mean, just run with it. It's worked really hard. Yeah, it's worked really hard. It's hard work. 
very hard work. And and he has a track record, I think, of putting his foot in his mouth. Yeah. So no reason to change form, Biden. So, yeah, keep it up. Um, I mean, it gives us something to talk about. So, you know, all the power to you for being a total moron. Meanwhile, um, NATO Secretary General Jens Stoltenberg addressed the Center for Strategic and International Studies in Washington, where he accused Russia of nuclear saber-rattling, which he called unjustified, destabilizing, and dangerous. He said that Russia is a global actor that is asserting its military power. We regret that Russia is taking this course, because when might becomes right, the consequences are grave. Mm. Indeed. The consequences are grave. I mean, you know, this is this is exactly you know the the same type of statements that you know are coming from Biden. You know, uh, do as we say, not as we do. And mm-hmm. well, it's a it's a war of rhetoric. It's uh, it's saying exactly or accusing others of exactly the types of things that they're doing, and uh, we see it again and again. And I think the level of ridiculousness, uh, you know, once you see the pattern, is uh, it just gets even crazier. Well, that's what it is. It's crazy making, you know, when you have uh, those pathological relationships and, you know, you're doing one thing and, and then speaking out and it's the very same thing. You know, it's going to drive you crazy. Well, but I don't know if it's just us or just me, but it's really past that point for me where it's not crazy making. It's just ridiculous because it is so over the top and so obviously wrong. I mean, when you gaslight someone, there has to be at least the the plausibility behind the suggestion that that you're not doing what what you're saying the other person is doing. But when when just to blatantly be a military aggressor around the world for generations and especially in these past 15 years and then to say something like this, I mean, you'd You'd have to be a total moron to be gaslighted by it. It's just, and I don't know, maybe there are just more total morons on the planet than I'm, than I think. But uh, there may be, Harrison. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think I think that's the question. Also, it's like you know, when these guys at Brookings and and uh, these other think tanks sit around and and discuss these things, do they come up with a percentage of people that they are committed to, you know, giving the big lie to, that they still okay. We still have uh, 12% of the population that believes this. And that's all we really need. And so just keep saying what we're saying, because uh, if we sound like we believe it, then this 12% is going to continue to believe it. And uh, and we need the, those people to believe it. I don't know. Or are, are they just so inured in their own propaganda that they can't even see what idiots they look like? It's probably a mix. You know, you probably have some genuine idiots, and then you know you have uh, the 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 devious idiots. And, mm-hmm. But they're all idiots. Yeah. Speaking of idiots, um, the UK election is coming up, mm-hmm. and apparently, a lot of the MPs in Parliament uh, they're hard at work, hard at work deleting unsavory information from their Wikipedia pages. Yep. This is according to the Telegraph. Um, so claims, um, facts on Wikipedia, allegations of arrest, fraud, extramarital affairs, these have all all vanished from the biographies on Wikipedia. Um, More than a dozen pages were edited, 
on on computers based in Parliament. So this was based on the IP addresses of the people doing the editing on the pages. Um, they came directly from Parliament. So of course, um, MPs and their spokespeople are are saying, "Oh well, it wasn't the particular." You know, this actual MP editing their own page, it was probably someone else. Yeah, it was somebody on their staff, you know, yeah. some, some new page boy who who happened to get the job of Wikipedia editor. <laughs> just, new, just a few examples of the type of information being scrubbed from Wikipedia, um, not very expertly. Uh, conservative MP Robert Blackman, he or someone, you know, someone on his staff or whoever, someone in Parliament, removed all links to news articles about an 11-year affair. Uh, and began his, his affair with Councillor Carol Shaw a year after he married his wife, Nicola, who also worked for Brent Council in London. Okay, Stephen Hammond, former Minister for Transport, edited his page to remove the fact that he was one of the most frequent users of chauffeur-driven cars while in government. I, don't, I, I see that as kind of a badge of honor. I don't know why I'd want to... Delete that. I don't know. Labor MP Geraint Davis spent two thousand two hundred eighty-five pounds on his kitchen and fifteen hundred pounds on his living room using taxpayers' money shortly before he lost his seat in the two thousand five general election. Conservative MP Craig Whitaker, um, they removed mention of his arrest for an alleged assault on his son in a petrol station in twenty twelve. He was released with no charges. Understandably, I mean, MPs don't commit crimes, so why would you know why would they be charged with it? It doesn't make any sense. Labor MP Joan Ryan, um, all the entire section on expenses was removed. Ryan claimed more than five hundred pounds of taxpayers' money for repairs and decorations in her constituency home. Quality Minister Caroline Dinanage edited uh, from a computer in Westminster to remove mention of the fact that she voted against gay marriage. Now, well, this is all just, you know, it's ridiculous stuff. It's, uh, you know, small beans compared to the kind of stuff that could be on Wikipedia if Wikipedia was anywhere near reliable. Wikipedia itself is a, you know, a font of disinfo and garbage. Um, So you can't, so first of all, you can't trust Wikipedia for anything like controversial. But when it comes to stuff like this, um, I don't know, it's just like a, a little kid's game. Oh, you know, they said I spent too much money, so I'm going to delete that so that my constituents maybe vote for me again. But um, what would be really interesting, I think, is if, you know, this... I don't even know why I read this story. It's total nonsense. But what would be really nice is if Wikipedia had, you know, on on the page of every MP current and for, um, you know, the number of children that they molest, um, you know, the number of people in other institutions like police or other branches of government that they've paid off or blackmailed or how many are being blackmailed, um, you know, that would be much more interesting and uh, kind of useful, kind of useful. And it would be it, it would be a good story if, um, you know, if those guys were then caught scrubbing those pages, you know, that might be worth something, something worth reporting on. Well, maybe what we'll do is follow up and, you know, look at the pages of all those MPs and guys like Jimmy Seville of the BBC and, uh, and see if these, uh, these reality creators in, in England uh, have uh, taken it to the next level and, uh, and taken out all of, all of that 
really important information about these guys. Yeah, we'll see. In other news, uh, heroin. That's it. No. Uh, the DEA, Drug Enforcement Administration, uh, released some kind of report on heroin use and has come to some conclusions over the past few years. They say, quote, there is no longer a typical heroin user. Now, what they mean by this is that usage of heroin has spread across demographics, including class, age, and race. So no longer is there a stereotypical heroin user. It uh, spans, you know, every every facet of American society, uh, kind of like psychopathy, but in different and important ways. Um, these demographic changes are reflected uh, in the fact that the number of people reporting heroin has nearly doubled um, heroin use from 161,000 in 2007 to 289,000 in 2013. The number of arrests for heroin use has doubled. Heroin use or you know possession, that's also doubled. Now, the interesting thing about this story is that now 80%, so four out of every five heroin users, started uh, using heroin after developing an, addic an addiction to legal prescription painkillers. Mm. So... Sorry, reefer. Sorry, marijuana. But it looks like prescription drugs are the new gateway drug. Mm. Well, you know, the, the dates that you give are interesting because, you know, it pretty much lines up with the exploding opium crop in Afghanistan. Mm -hmm. You know, that, that all those uh, all those drugs have to go somewhere. And, you know, the Western market is booming. Yeah. So 2000, you know, the ta uh, 2001, actually, the Taliban was actually doing a, a good job cutting uh, opium production down to like pretty much zero compared to what it had been the years before. There's the invasion and then production just skyrockets. So, I mean, heroin's a good moneymaker. Um, there's a lot of cash to be had from the illicit market. So, I mean, why not just exploit that market and using the American people? I mean, it's a an available market. You might as well uh, tap it for all it's worth. That's you know that that's capitalism, right? And of course, you know, U.S. government and military has had a history of uh, exporting uh, or importing drugs, heroin and 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 other illicit uh, drugs during times of war. I think uh, Robert Kirk Connell uh, discussed that in his book, um, the title of which eludes me at the moment. Uh, but uh, we've seen these types of things happen during uh, the Vietnam War years, and uh, now it's become a huge source of income for uh, secret government, quote-unquote, types um, who have the logistical uh, power to uh, take advantage of the chaos in a, in a country like Afghanistan. Um, and so, yeah, um, you know, Look out, uh, pharmaceutical painkillers, here comes heroin. Mm -hmm. So essentially that's just a veiled admission that the heroin problem is caused, at least in part, by Big Pharma. So good job, Big Pharma. Yeah, the uh, the Big Pharma uh, topic too, uh, just to touch on it briefly, 
there's another article on SOT recently uh, that 70% of advertising revenue just came from big pharma. So, you know, you look at, you know, what the what the population is is going for and it's 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 what's the what thirsty for in the pharmaceuticals. And, you know, it just ties right into, you know, the stresses that, you know, we kind of feel and are under from living in this pathological system. Uh, so, you know, it works it works all in favor of, you know, the psychopaths and and you stress the population, and then you drug them. Speaking of people that look like they're on drugs constantly, uh, Mikhail Sakashvili, Sakashvili, uh, he um, he was, of course, former president of Georgia. Um, hasn't been living there for the past several years. Um, for well, you know, well, he's got good reason. Um, his country's prosecutors suspect him of embezzlement, abuse of power, and politically motivated attacks. Again, you know, these aren't the kinds of things that we should be going after, that anyone should be concerned about. I mean, it's, everyone does it, so, but, you know, why do anything about it? But anyways, so Saxville, he's been on the run for, for several years, but he has found a new home. He has just been granted citizenship by Petro Poroshenko in Ukraine, and not only that, he has been appointed the governor of Ukraine's Odessa region. Wow. Now, Stock is really moving up in the world. Birds of a feather. Yeah. And if you remember, uh, Odessa was the site of the massacre um, last May or June 2014 uh, that was perpetrated by Poroshenko's right-wing Nazi types. Uh, 50 people were burned alive, strangled, um, murdered in various ways, and uh, all for pretty much just trying to protest uh, the new Kiev regime's uh, rise to power. And uh, so it's it's kind of a kind of a symbolic adding insult, angry slap in the face to have this um, this guy Sakashvili. Uh, be nominated for governor when he's only just given citizenship of the country. Well, but you know, he does have a, he's the perfect guy for the role. He does have a track record. I mean, this is what Poroshenko had to say about him. Um, he has proven with deeds, not words, that he can not only give birth to creative ideas, but also put them into practice. Poroshenko also added that this Saakashvili had changed his country, Georgia, in the direction of transparency, effectiveness, corruption, appeal for foreign investors, fair justice, protection of citizens' rights, and democracy. Something that Odessa would like to see very much. On oh, barf. <laughs> well, who does he think he's fooling? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, so this is Saakashvili, the you know the tie-eating idiot that is responsible. Well, partially responsible. He's just following orders for the Georgian War in 2008. Um, just a complete, like, um, almost human tool. Yeah, and you just you have to search the video of him eating the tie because I mean we talked about it before, but I hadn't actually seen it until about two days ago in one of the South Front. 
uh, crisis videos where they had the little clip of him eating the tie. And he he does pick the tie up, you know, Gnawing and on stick it. it in his mouth and start chewing on it. <laughs> and um, that's like uh, that's like Paul Bulfowitz spitting on his comb <clears throat> yeah. and and combing his hair that way. Well, maybe maybe a, a degree worse. I don't know. Maybe it's like this like malfunction that's going on in you know these these people's or so-called people's brains, because you know you see like Tony Abbott just like eating a a raw onion with the shell and stuff on it, just gnawing on it. So you know, what is that about? Kind of. Well, I don't want to go into David Icke territory, but it reminds me of Men in Black and just their their very strange eating habits. But uh, we won't go there. I think I don't think these guys are non-humans in that way, but they are pretty funny. Well, we've been going back and forth a little here about taking on paid advertising because it is a quick and easy way to make some money for the show and to pay some bills. And sometimes I guess our principles, I suppose, just have to be put aside for a moment. Also, Shane's been on us about wanting to update his Italian silk suit collection. <laughs> Jesus, Shane. I mean, you work from home, for God's sakes, and you never go out anywhere anyway. All right, I'm sorry. Well, you know how That's it really goes. nice fabric, Elon. I mean, you know, it, it's it's nice to wear around the house, feel a little luxurious sometimes. Feel a little special every once in a while, every day. Well, okay. Well, I, you know, we all need our little pleasures and, and luxuries. I understand that, but... Uh, Anyway, folks, uh, next we're going to hear the Truth Perspective's first on-air advertisement. Enjoy it, I guess. Are you looking to tie the knot with your child slave bride but money's too tight? Still living in your parents' basement planning jihad because you can't afford to buy a home? Well, the U.S. State Department and its friends in CIA have just the offer for you. I.S. That's right! By joining the Islamic State, not only will you be provided a free honeymoon, that's right, free, you'll also receive $1,500 towards your first home. Plus, if you join now, your mysterious American accented handler will throw in a generous $400 per child to swell the ranks of your burgeoning terrorist state. All this for just three easy payments of your eternal soul, dignity, and self-respect. Don't miss this opportunity to fight for freedom and democracy by fighting against freedom and democracy. This is a limited-time offer, so act now. Just contact your nearest State Department representative or U.S. Embassy near you to take full advantage of this once-in-a-lifetime offer. Remember, ask your spiritual leader, FBI, or CIA handler, is I.S. right for me? Some conditions may apply. The U.S. State Department reserves the right to liquidate any I.S. militants whose deaths may serve U.S. national security interests. Risks include torture, imprisonment, beheading, involuntary drug addiction, slavery, being killed in a U.S. airstrike by the U.S. or its allies, death by drone attack, death by ground invasion, death by FBI sting operation, moral insanity, and world public abhorrence. Brought to you by the U.S. State Department, Homeland Security, CIA, and the secret team. Wow. That was very, very polished. Yeah, you know, it's kind of typical for the uh, Islamic state that we see. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's very well done. Yeah. Very appealing. Lots of benefits there that uh, I was not aware of. Happy go lucky, you know, type mm-hmm. kittens and Nutella type thing, you know. Yeah. 
Yeah. They might have taken the Nutella off of the, the list of benefits, though. I didn't hear that in the ad. <laughs> but but they do, you know, this is this is a, a, a real information uh, that, that's in, you know, this uh, this commercial. Uh, families are getting $1,500, you know, for their, for their new uh, homes when they marry and $400 for each child that's conceived. And they also they also get a free honeymoon mm-hmm. uh, in the Islamic State's new five star hotel in Raqqa. Yeah. So that ad provided to us by our inside source at the st- at the State Department is totally accurate. Well, you know, I I have to burst the bubble um, just you know in the name of transparency that um, unfortunately we aren't getting paid by the U.S. State Department. Um, you know, Saad has been accused of that in the past. Um, you know, it would be great if it was true, but, um, you know, we just have ideological differences. The State Department just, you know, no matter how many times we ask them, they just refuse to, to give us any money because uh, I guess they don't like us very much. Nowadays, of course, it's uh, it's the, the Kremlin that apparently pays us, but... Unfortunately, again, you know, <laughs> we don't get any money from, you know, anyone like that. We're just uh, doing what we can do. Sorry, Shane. Yes. Yeah, no, no new threads uh, for me. No. Like you're saying, Shane, everything, well, almost everything in that little ad is, is, is true. Of course, the State Department itself isn't coming out with that, but uh, we'll get into that because, first of all, you know, this art, this news just came out, um, and it was actually from a conversation that AP had with a 28-year-old ISIS fighter, um, Abu Bilal Al-Hamsi. So he was talking to them on Skype, and he was just, you know, saying what a great thing ISIS was. Like you were saying, Shane, giving, uh, you know, $400 per child to start a family. Um, they give a one-time sum of $500 to any foreign fighters when they marry. Um, again, to start a family. Um, there's opportunities for more cash, but that means that the person that you're marrying has to have some kind of desirable skills, like Hamzi. His wife is a doctor and speaks four languages. So that means you know, she probably speaks American so she can translate his American handler, um, you know, all, all the orders that he gives them and, you know, coming up with the locations for supplies, drops, and stuff like that. And uh and then, of course, she's a doctor, so then when the U.S. then turns around and um, accidentally hits some ISIS fighters that they're pretending to, to attack, then she can administer uh, medical attention to them. Uh, Along so, with uh, Israel's uh, finest uh, doctors, yeah. apparently. This, uh, this 28-year-old that gave the, the Skype interview, it was... Uh, it was just so bizarre listening or reading uh, his description of the honeymoon because, you know, it's kind of like out of uh, some tourist pamphlet. Like he described the honeymoon as like involving strolls along the Euphrates River and, you know, having uh, ice cream and grilled meats. And mm-hmm. you know, he said uh, it has everything one would want for a wedding. You know, it was just this uh, really bizarre picture that he's painting uh, amid 
you know, never mind, you know, the beheadings, the sex, the sex slave trade going on and the uh, public stonings, kidnapping, torturing civilians and, and, and rape and, and all the, all of this all around CIA sponsored, you know, terrorist uh, fun. Well, it sounds like a, a pretty typical, um, even ideal wedding if you're a Dothraki from you know, Game of Thrones. But, <laughs> but, but what is this? really all point to. I mean, it points to uh, fantastic production values uh, by uh, CIA and other agencies um, who are trying to create this perception of uh, ISIL or IS or ISIS or or Al-Qaeda in wherever. Uh, Just that point, like, it's, it's really bizarre that, you know, they have such a shiny image, but their branding is like, you know, so... What what is up with that? Like, yeah. why? why how, how can they not get, be to have better branding? Yeah, it's not ISIL or ISIS anymore. It's just ICE. <laughs> ICE, 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 baby, is what ICE is, is. is. Well, maybe uh, I don't know. Maybe uh, you know, the CIA should begin hiring guys from Madison Avenue who are a little more sophisticated in uh, in in selling brand uh, ISIS uh, and and recruiting more folks because. Uh, it seems like a pretty obvious uh, kind of bit of, of advertising there that folks aren't, you know, well, buying. Despite, well, I think the advertising was pretty good, and it's it's worked a lot, but uh, apparently ISIS is actually losing some members now. Uh, did you guys hear about that? Yeah, I did. They're, yeah. they're, they're outraged. Yeah. They're complaining over conspiracy theories, uh, claiming that the group is a puppet. In the hands of Western intelligence agencies, and and what's that, what that's causing is, is some of these guys actually leave in uh, in disgust. Oh my gosh! Yes, it's you know this isn't uh, you know, this isn't a real jihad organization. So I was lied to, was lied to. by my Islamic State government. Well, this uh, this publication that they put out um, was posted on Reddit. And I think it was under their uh, Syrian Civil War subreddit. And uh, if you go to the link, it's not to, you know any actual uh, ISIS website. It's, it was hosted on um, the archive.org. And you, know, you download that and you look at it, and the production value is amazing. <laughs> you know, yeah, they've got some good graphic artists. And, um, yeah, just you know, it, the whole the whole thing is. Uh, you know, just very, very bizarre. It's very bizarre world esque. Yeah, the magazine is called Debik, and it's it's their periodical. And the latest issue is titled "Conspiracy Theory Shirk," and apparently that means conspiracy theory sin. And so, the piece itself, uh, its implications are that the fighters have grown delusional because of the conjectures that IS is a puppet in the hands of Western intelligence agencies. So the article reads, part of it, if the Mujahideen liberated territory occupied by the infidels, they would say that the infidels allowed them to do so because the disbelievers' interests necessitated a prolonged war. According to these theorists, almost all the events of the world were somehow linked back to the the infidels, their intelligence agencies, research technology, and conspirators. Conspiracy theories have thereby become an excuse to abandon jihad. 
Now, what I want to know is, you know, who who is actually writing this journal? You know, uh, this, this journal that's in English. You know, it's not written in Arabic for you know, uh, you, you would assume for to be their followers. But um, you know, so who who's writing this? Well, you know what I I just got a text message from my inside source at the State Department. Apparently, it's Rita Katz. You know how she just miraculously finds videos before they're published by IS. Well, apparently, she actually also miraculously comes into possession of the the manuscript, the text of the magazine, and then she publishes it for them um, just to get the scoop on them. On on may I publish in social media yeah. on Reddit? Yeah. So, <laughs> well, on on the subject of who's writing this stuff. Um, one of the writers who is a journalist and has been kept hostage uh, since 2012 um, is a journalist named uh, John Cantley. And uh, Cantley is a, um, he's a photojournalist. Um, as this held hostage, uh, he's been uh, appearing in several of the videos. Um, and He's one of the few guys who hasn't yet been beheaded, uh, whose name is attributed to some of the articles. And uh, it uh, it wasn't too long ago that uh, he came out by saying that ISIL has billions of dollars in the bank, and they can call on their wilaya or province in Pakistan to purchase a nuclear device through weapons dealers and links to corrupt officials in the region. So um, a few alternative bloggers out there have been connecting some dots. Um, and uh, there are a couple of other things Cantley said. Uh, the weapon is then transported overland until it makes it to Libya, where the Mujahideen move it south to Nigeria. And then he said that drug shipments from Colombia bound from Europe pass through West Africa so moving other types of contraband, you know, i.e. nuclear arms from east to west, is just as possible. Uh, Cantley continued the weapon and accompanying, accompanying radicals would then move up through Central America and Mexico before entering the U.S. And he goes on to say that from there it's a quick hop through a, a smuggling tunnel. And hey, presto, they're mingling with another 12 million <coughs> illegal aliens in America with a nuclear bomb in the trunk, he wrote. Perhaps such a scenario is far-fetched, but it's the sum of all fears for Western intelligence agencies, and it's infinitely more possible today than it was just one year ago, Kent said. So, sum of all fears. Sum of all fears. Well, I would say it's the sum of all fears for you know those well-intended um, participants in uh, Western intelligence agencies actually give a hoot about people and safety. Um, but then you have other guys who probably put up Cantley to write this as a way of introducing the idea that the U.S. is now vulnerable to some kind of ISIS-detonated um, nuclear bomb. Well, you know, you mentioned the... Um the drug trade, and we were just talking about that a little earlier uh, about the you know the, the heroin usage and 
Um, you know, it's interesting because there is another story uh, kind of related to that. You know, how, so how how is ISIS getting all this money for to you know to give families fifteen hundred dollars and you know uh, for for their marriage and you know yada 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 and so we kind of see you know this uh, uh, this sale of drugs um, you know being used to fund these kinds of activities and uh, just this past week. There were two tons of um, ISIS drugs, uh, including Captagon, uh, which was seized in western Syria. Um, now, when they made this uh, drug bust, it consisted of 800 kilograms of a hashish, hashish paste and nearly 6 million tablets of this Captagon uh, drug. Now, this this drug is used uh, by you know these so-called jihadists. Uh, for the Islamic, Islamic State to get tough and fearless, you know, it, it, it puts them in this like, you know, crazy state. This, uh, you know, we've we've kind of heard that ISIS is um, like Al Qaeda on on drugs, and well, it's it's literal. <laughs> you know, they actually are on drugs, and you know, this isn't the um, well. Well, we're hearing this information now. You know, Gaddafi, he was talking about this, um, you know, in 2011, uh, before his, before he was, you know, overthrown and murdered. Uh, he was talking in one of his, um, one of his later speeches. You know, he was calling out these, um, these terrorists who he had been keeping in check for, uh, you know, since he had been in power. Uh, these these terrorists had been, you know. Um, Running rampant in in Libya for decades, and you know he was able to control them. And until uh, the United States and the United States allies came in and you know supported them financially to take to take out the Libyan government, and you know that set off a whole um, slew of events uh, leading up to what we're seeing today. And you know we we can we can look at Libya and what Gaddafi was doing. Um, you know he was he had free health care, uh, free education. He gave families fifty thousand dollars when they were uh, when they were married. Um, Opposed to the piddly fifteen hundred from ISIS. Exactly. You know uh, yeah you compare the two and 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 you know you don't have to go around beheading people to, mm-hmm. to get this money. It was, it was just a, a part of being, you know, a citizen of Libya. So he was doing all, all these amazing things. Uh, he, he was raising, um, you know, just the living standard in, in Libya to, you know, really, he was doing a really beautiful thing. And, um, you know, and then when, when you can think that that the United States was going in and doing that just to take out Gaddafi, which, you know, he was a threat. But when we see what's played out, you know, in the past four years since, um, you know, we see this, this spread of the Islamic State and, you know, they're they're moving, you know, in, from Libya into, you know, uh, Iraq and Syria. And, you know, it's not that, you know, you, you, we've heard commentators say that, oh, ISIS is now in Libya. ISIS isn't now in Libya. You know, they, they've been there all along. You know, it, it's, 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 uh, 
it's really absurd to you know think that okay yeah they just you know popped up in, in Libya, but you know we see so we see ISIS you know moving into destabilize uh, Syria. Uh, we see them in Iraq, and you know it's all part of this uh, larger plan for the Middle East, uh, the, the so-called New Middle East that you know Condoleezza Rice was uh, going on about in uh, Tel Aviv. And but what I, what I think is interesting is you know it's not just the destabilization of the Middle East, but you look at where. Uh, ISIS is cropping up where this uh, this extremism is cropping up, and it's right at the doors of China and Russia, you know, our 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 mortal enemies. That's uh, I, I think that's kind of the game plan. And it goes back quite a ways. Uh, Joe just wrote an article this week on ISIS, and I'm just going to read one paragraph from it. Back in 1957, when the Syrian government would not cooperate with Western anti-communism, the U.S. and British governments hatched a plot to create provocations in Syria that were to be used as justification for an invasion by the military of the then-client government in Iraq. Details about this conspiracy were revealed in a working group report uncovered in 2003 among the papers of British Defense Minister Duncan Sandys, uh, Duncan Sandys. So there's just one paragraph uh, from this uh, paper that was uncovered, and it reads, In order to facilitate the action of liberative forces, a special force should be made to eliminate certain key individuals and to proceed with internal disturbances in Syria. CIA is prepared, and SIS MI6 will attempt to mount minor sabotage and coup de main main incidents uh, within Syria. Coup de main are simultaneous, swift, multi-pronged attacks. Uh, it's kind of like a, an all-out assault in a short amount of time to achieve a military objective. Um, we'll do this working through contacts with individuals. Necessary degree of fear. Frontier, frontier and staged border clashes will provide a pretext for intervention. The CIA and SIS should use capabilities in both psychological and action fields to augment tension. Syria would be made to appear as the sponsor of plots, sabotage, and violence direct against neighboring governments. This was written over 50 years ago, and it is exactly what's going on now. And just in uh, just recently, there was a 2012 DIA report that was released um, saying uh, it's, it was a pretty big revelation. It, it admitted that the U.S. in 2012 not only had foreseen the the rise of ISIS, they even used the term uh, the the establishment of an Islamic state, this Sal- the Salafist principality in Syria and Iraq, but that because this matched with the objectives of the West and uh, countries around there, like Turkey and Jordan, Saudi Arabia, that they wanted this, and that um, that these fighters that became ISIS were the fighters that were being supported by the West. So ISIS, the, the U.S. government has been supporting these guys all along. I mean, we, we've known that, but uh, to have this report is a little bit of a confirmation. And 
so yeah, the the government, the U.S. not only knew about it, but were actively supporting these guys' opposition um, in league with their partners in the Middle East, and this was ISIS. You know, plain the, and simple. The interesting thing about the whole you know Benghazi scandal with Hillary Clinton a few years ago, um, which kind of pointed to her handling of of, uh, of you know, security in that region. Uh, because if you remember, um, there's there was a story about uh, the um, U.S. ambassador's um, uh, area in Benghazi, Libya, getting attacked, um, and well, this is the most interesting thing about it. Um, as one article points out, uh, what happened was. Uh, the CIA operation um, was that was going on. The, the guys that were killed under cover of uh, of being ambassadors to Libya. Um, it was concluded by the Citizens Commission on Benghazi that the Obama White House and State Department, under the management of Secretary of State Hillary Clinton, uh, changed sides in the war on terror in 2011 by implementing a policy of facilitating the delivery of weapons to the al-Qaeda-dominated rebel militias in Libya, attempting to oust Muammar Gaddafi from power. Um, several members of the commission have disclosed their finding that the mission of Christopher Stevens, he was the guy who was killed, if you remember, you know, who the, the big uproar was made about. Uh, prior to the fall of Gaddafi and during Stevens' time, as U.S. ambassador, was the management of a secret gun-running program operating out of the Benghazi compound. Um, so basically, the real story there uh, is not that uh, Hillary Clinton didn't have enough security protecting this guy, but who this guy was and what he was actually doing. And, and that was uh, fomenting and arming, and probably also financing uh, these mercenaries, jihadists, who who ultimately were supported by NATO and the U.S. in destroying Libya as we know it today. Um, and Libya is right now a hot mess. Uh, you know, you have rival uh, warlords uh, duking it out for power. Um, and, uh, yeah, this is what the U S does. Uh, it goes into places, um, like Libya. Uh, also, by the way, Libya wanted to go on a gold standard, right? Wanted to bring Africa, uh, under its wing and, and take itself off of, uh, the U S dollar. Well, and they weren't, they weren't dependent on, you know, loans from the IMF or, you know, the interest rates. They, they had their own banking system. And you know they were able to finance their own projects, and you know without being under the thumb from you know U.S. influence. And yeah, they were doing like you know just remarkable things. And you know where is the outrage over what's going on in Libya now? Like you know back you know in 2011, uh, you know you had all these human rights organizations, you know claiming and you know just basically parroting you know, the U.S. State Department's accusations against Gaddafi and, you know, the human rights abuses when it was actually, you know, these rebels doing it. 
and 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 they were calling these rebels these uh they were protesters who were supporting freedom and democracy mm-hmm. this is isis this is isis that we see today these are the protesters that are fighting for freedom and democracy how ironic is that and the answer is it's not even a question in people's minds because it's not being discussed at all people don't know that the us has effectively wrecked this entire country, like, like it's wrecked Iraq. There's hardly like there's barely a, a functioning uh, head government there. Yeah. You know, it, it's it's in pieces, and like you said, yeah, you, know, you know, it's just uh, split apart in 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 these fighting factions of uh, yeah, with these warlords at the head, and you know, there's and and the people are suffering. You know, you look at the people how they were living. You know, before uh, Gaddafi was mur- murdered, and you know it was it was really a remarkable thing, and it's just such a travesty to see you know what it's become today, and you know th- uh, this is the future that I think we can all look forward to. You know, this isn't something that's an isolated you know event. This is the core of you know what our psychopaths in power represent. You know, it's just made manifest in in uh, Libya and you know so many other places. And you know, we can we can think we're sheltered um, because it's over there, but you know, when you look at what's going on in the United States with the the police and and everything else, you know, it's coming home. And you know, uh, I think you know we can expect more of the same here and in so many other you know Western nations. Well, just look at Ukraine. I mean, would the people living there even two years ago be able to predict what it would be like now? I don't think so. And that's that's something that strikes me whenever I read like a history book on whether it's you know Soviet the Soviet Union or Nazi Germany or something more current like Ukraine, how the people never seem to see it coming you know a few always do but for the most part it's the dominating idea is that well you know look at us we're so civilized we're a we're a total western nation nation and this couldn't happen here and then it happens and things totally fall apart and they're left with this just gigantic pathocracy that infects the lives of everyone in the country. And we see, I mean, there are variations on it. We see what's going on in Ukraine, where there's at least a region of resistance to what's going on. That's the that's where most of the bloodshed is. But then we have something like Libya, where it's the, the whole thing is just a, uh, a total mess. Where there's, like you said, there's no there's no semblance of real government even. And it is just a a travesty and a shock that something like that could happen. And then the reality being that this is the direct result and the direct intention of the American government. Well, it, it's extremely frightening, and uh, or it should be. Um, you know, we go through our day-to-day uh, responsibilities and. Uh, and activities um largely uh 
blocking out such information? Well, I would say that about a lot of people, not necessarily us here or, or people listening to the show. Um, but when you consider uh, the probability that this um, that this virus uh, is on its way to working on most people on the planet in one form or another, uh, you know, it's like, you know, it, it, it bears some serious consideration and even, uh, even getting a little upset about it, uh, having it, you know, I think experiencing, um, the reality of it on a, an emotional or a visceral level, um, enough so that it becomes real to you, uh, or to anyone, uh, who can therefore kind of, uh, assimilate the information and, and, uh, prepare themselves, um, for when all of this spreads even further. Uh, because, you know, stories like this, um, you know, obviously, you know, this, you know, ISIS brings in a nuclear bomb, you know, threat to the U.S., uh, these types of things are quite possible. Well, not in the way that they're presented. No. Um, but uh, if if we look at the patterns, mm -hmm. uh, if we recognize the fact that, that this uh, could be part of a false flag operation uh, to further, um, you know, create oppression and, and, and justify new... Um, new laws and, and police state measures, um, and just to create chaos. Um, it's not so far-fetched. Um, so I think, I think we all do really well to try and sit with this information as, as possibilities and imagine, if you will, you know, what that would look like, how that would be experienced by people, um, maybe even yourselves, uh, maybe even ourselves. Um, oh, and you don't even have to, you know, completely imagine it. You know, you just look at, you know, what the people in Libya are are going through. You know, look at uh, how the Palestinians have suffered, and you know, you look at all the has happened. You know, this particularly this past decade, and just the the, the devastation, you know, that that's come from the West. Um, you know, you, you don't, I don't, you don't have to, you know, imagine too hard. Um, and like you were saying earlier, Elon, you know, uh, allow yourself to kind of feel, you know, the, the emotion uh, that, that we're usually disconnected from. And that can be a powerful uh, waking force. You know, and I think it ties into conscience, which you know, it's really what I think we as uh, the American people are, are lacking. You know, we're we're just going about our day and um, you know trying to make ends meet, and yeah, and we're stressed, and you know we're not uh, we're not paying attention to the, the broader picture, to the to the bigger uh, events that are going on in the world, and you know we do so at our own peril, really. Mm -hmm. I want to get back to our little State Department ad um, because it's kind of a truthified version of reality. Well, it's 
really reality as it is, because in the news, like the official the official version that uh, the ordinary citizen would get was that okay, that Islamic State is providing these perks for you know potential fighters to come and join and uh, fight against Syria and Iraq. But and maybe they might even say, oh well, they're engaging in this because they really need recruits and it's totally ridiculous. It's just a scheme to get more people. But the reality of is it of it is that first of all, ISIS is the the brainchild of Western intelligence services. First of all, and so when you read through the the layers of propaganda, this is actually the U.S. government putting out this propaganda one or two steps removed, perhaps maybe not even. And so that ad is really pretty much what's going on. It's the U.S. State Department or whomever, CIA, whatever secret operative group is behind all this, and it could be many, it's pretty much their advertisement for getting dupes, you know, stupid people, that's stupid brainless, conscienceless people to join this ridiculous movement that's a joke um, and to fight against freedom and democracy uh, and in turn, by doing so, fight for freedom and democracy. It's it's just ridiculous. I think it's pretty funny, but only funny in a certain way because it is totally devious and sick. Well, you got to make fun of it sometimes yeah. because it is so <laughs> damn depressing. But there's another hint well, with that in mind, there's a, another hint towards this, you know, seeing behind the surface level of what's presented to us. Um, just in this last week, the leader of al-Nusra Front, this is the al-Qaeda affiliate group in Syria, he had an interview with Al Jazeera saying that, uh, this was on Wednesday, that he is under orders from the organization's central leadership not to attack Western interests in Syria, rather to focus on toppling President Bashar al-Assad. So he said, uh, this guy's name is Abu Mohammed al-Golani, and he said that the orders from Dr. Ayman al-Zawahiri, otherwise known as Mr. Magoo of al-Qaeda, are that we should not attack the West from Syria. Um, he said, we are only here to accomplish one mission, to fight the regime and its agents on the ground, including Hezbollah and others. Al-Nusra Front doesn't have any plans or directives to target the West. We received clear orders not to use Syria as a launching pad to attack the U.S. or Europe, or Europe in order to not sabotage the true mission against the regime. Maybe Al-Qaeda does that, but not here in Syria. So, I mean, Ayman al-Zawahiri is... Just like the the mythical Bin Laden, he was for a long time, well, and still is to a degree, the face of Al-Qaeda, which is a total joke. Um, There's a whole history to the guy, but he's more than he appears. And just the absolute ludicrous nature of this, that (laughs) Al-Qaeda is receiving its orders not to attack the West. I mean, how flipping convenient well, I heard that within uh, the you know the recent emails that came out from uh, with Clinton that actually there were some emails 
from her uh, stating these these very things to him, saying, you know, you got to back down on the West, and that, that that's you, you can't you can't attack the U.S. and you know that's that's you, you got to attack your own people, basically. Mm-hmm. But isn't it funny though that that Al Qaeda or ISIS, their their public statements, their propaganda, all seems to align just perfectly with U.S. national security interests. The U.S. wants to get rid of Bashar al-Assad. ISIS wants to do the same thing. Uh, at least hypothetically, the U.S. doesn't want an attack on U.S. soil, except when it's convenient to them and they do it themselves. And so al-Nusra Front declares the exact same thing. Um, the, the, uh, ISIS and al-Qaeda are anti-Hezbollah, you know, anti anti Assad, anti whomever the American government actually doesn't like. It's just remarkable how much they have in common. It's just a coincidence, Harrison. Yeah. They just I mean, they should really just sit at the table and, and realize well it's kinda of like when you you're in school and there's someone you don't like and then all of a sudden you just realize how much you have in common with them and you become friends. I mean they're perfect um you know, they're a perfect match. They both like slaughtering innocent people. They both like rape. They both like uh, human trafficking. Um, the list goes on. Drug the drug trade, making making a few bucks here and there. Um, I mean, there's really not much difference when you think about it. Well, I can't think of a more uh, perfect example of that um, than the U.S. And it's been said here before multiple times. The U.S. literally supporting. Uh, the Kiev regime and and all of their neo-Nazi guys mm-hmm. and downplaying it and uh, you know with very few exceptions uh, the U.S. media has not touched the subject um, and you know how um, how do you profess to want real stability and. Uh, and, and freedom and democracy, so-called, somewhere, where the very people that you're aligning yourself with are Nazis, whether whether they're called Azov Battalion or Right Sector or ISIL or any other extremist, um, you know, ideological bunch of crazies. Um, I think the case could be made that you know the United States has uh, still has roots in you know, Nazi ideology itself. Mm-hmm. You know, we just can't manifest it as clearly and overtly in the United States yet, although, you know, there are a lot of signs. Um but um yeah, you know, it's it's kind of their their essence in the United States is, is just manifesting within within Ukraine and in the Middle East. Well the point one of the important points to remember is kind of less one from political pathology that all these names and isms are just the smokescreen. Fascism, capitalism, democracy, Islamic fundamentalism. Though That's just the, the surface skin of the phenomenon, and the actual essence of it is psychopathy, pathocracy. So no matter how many surface differences there are, you can have two diametrically opposed seemingly ideologies that are in essence identical. And so that's why whenever 
someone says the comparison uh, to Nazism is false in this or that case. Well, they're they're right on a superficial level, mm-hmm. but the the essence of it is that they're identical. They have the an identical primary essence, which is psychopathy, and so that's why ISIS is so similar to Azov is so similar to the U.S. government is because they are all part of that same psychopathic essence. And for that matter, the IDF in Israel. Mm-hmm. Um, you know what what they're what they have done, what they are doing, and, and they just uh, restarted hostilities in Gaza, uh, presumably because uh, there have been rocket fires or something that they've identified as a threat, uh, and it is just another uh, reason to restart an onslaught onto these people who are hanging by their fingernails. Um, they haven't gotten any uh, serious aid or support in reconstructing the destruction that uh, that happened with uh, uh, the last operation of last summer. I, I think we're likely to see more of it. Um, the U.S. Is, is mostly toothless in trying to help the situation. Um, really, they, they have no motivation to or power, even if they did. And um, this is a really sad situation. And I'm also thinking about the seven or so million people out of Syria who have had to leave I mean, you see some of the pictures of the destruction uh, uh, caused by uh, ISIS and al-Nusra and al-Qaeda in Syria. Um, And on top of it, you have the U.S. bombing, uh, ostensibly trying to destroy uh, ISIS footholds in Syria, but really killing innocent people and infrastructure. And uh, it just... It just doesn't, I don't see an end in sight. Um, you know, the U.S. are mad dogs. Well, another story caught my eye. We had a conversation in November, I think it was, when the whole South Stream deal happened, fell through. And this had to do with Turkey and um, Turkey kind of coming around to Russia now, that looked pretty interesting at the time, but uh, it looks like, well, things are never so simple or cut and dried. There's a story coming out of Turkey this week on a Turkish gag order on the publication of footage showing um, the Turkish intelligence service shipping arms to Syria. So what happened was that all these trucks were going into into Syria from Turkey and under the cover of humanitarian aid. Now, this should ring a bell. This is what the U.S. and the West accused Russia of doing by sending the, that first uh, humanitarian convoy, the first of what? Is it like something like 20 now or 30? And those those trucks were searched. They were they were looked at. There was no contraband found or no weapons. It was It was what they said it was, humanitarian aid. But in this case, Turkey... They were saying it was, it was humanitarian aid. Now, these trucks were pulled over, and there was video footage shot of of the, the stuff that was in the trucks. So what they did was they opened up the boxes. Of course, they see some medical supplies. They 
pick up the medical supplies underneath, they find 1,000 artillery shells, 50,000 machine gun rounds, 30,000 heavy machine gun rounds, 1,000 mortar shells. And so the the paper that released this information, the editor, the editor-in-chief, is currently being investigated now for breach of anti-terrorism laws. And the the investigator, the the government guy that is behind this, he has also he has requested a gag order because quote the leak harms the national security of Turkey and taints the international reputation of the Turkish government. Now, this this guy <clears throat> has obviously been hanging around the Americans too much, but this is a really this is a really good glimpse into the reality behind the words that we see the American government using, and not just the American government, we see it in the UK and all, pretty much all Western nations and more, and that is the language of national security. So in the US, often you'll hear that they can't release a certain document or you know certain types of information for reasons of national security, and obviously the, the reason for this is that it would taint the international reputation of whichever government um, would be releasing these documents because it would show that the things that they're doing are completely illegal and immoral and that no rational, reasonable person with a conscience would be able to support anything like it. So whenever you hear that the, that something cannot be released for reasons of national security, you mean that means that the government is and has been doing things that are totally reprehensible and they just can't let anyone know because it would be so obvious that people would immediately... <laughs> just realize what a force for evil these organizations, these governments are. So the the Turkish government is just releasing this totally um, you know, BS line on on what's going on. And the anti-terrorism law, these <laughs> again, it's just it's ridiculous. These guys, the, the Turkish intelligence is sending weapons to terrorists in Syria, and they are investigating the guy that leaked this information on those on their very anti-terrorism laws. On what rationale? It's the Turkish government that are supporting the terrorists in the first place. So it's the Joe Biden rationale. Yeah. It's the uh, Edward Snowden uh, phenomenon yeah, same, as, same as well. Um, but I, I think you bring up a, an interesting point there. It's the criminalizing of truth. And the criminalizing of dissent mm-hmm. uh, it reminds me of these laws in Canada, where you know criticizing Israel basically is tantamount to being uh, anti-Semitic and uh, speaking hate. And I think that there's been a, a subtle but persistent push here in the U.S. Uh, in in similar directions. If you criticize the government. Uh, you must be a terrorist of some kind, uh, in some form or, or another. And um, you know, there's been a lot of kind of uh, buzz on the web recently about Operation Genome, of course. And along with that, um, you know, people who are discussing it and speculating about it know uh, that they are in fact considered in in some form the enemy by virtue of the fact that they're speaking out against it. Um, and there are all manners of, of lists of, of uh, the types of people 
who probably come up in uh, the NSA supercomputer as, you know, uh, undesirable or uh, radicalizers or, um, you know, on, on the red list, uh, so to say, um, merely because they're uh, proponents of of the truth. Well, I think what it does, this type of propaganda does, is you know that it's training the population's mind to only look at words. Saying this is bad. Never mind what we're doing. You know, don't look at the man behind the curtain. Uh, just look at you know what we're saying, and you know, you'll be fine. And it's 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 training people not to see these atrocities that are happening. And folks, if you've never read Georgia Orwell's 1984, uh, it is required reading. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, this guy wrote the book, I think, in the 40s or 50s. 48. 48. And um, basically, uh, you know, he had a term for it, doublespeak. And uh, he coined a few other terms that depict what we're seeing today exactly uh to a t it's remarkable except that you know the only difference is uh the scale uh with which it's happening uh is just of magnitudes uh larger and um you know i think there's uh as you were saying earlier in the show shane you know there's a a price to be paid for not being aware of how this works um, and of understanding how it is by just the use of, of language, um, we're being deceived wholesale. Um, so, and that's a pretty scary book. Uh, and um, that ties right into political polarology and you know, how pathologicals operate is they deceive people just by making people look at their words and what they're saying. But the real way to identify them is by studying their actions and how they behave, uh, seeing what they're doing, and you know, and analyzing that. You know, words words really don't amount to much. Unfortunately, on the other hand, they do, in the sense that they are the the means by which the population is controlled. So that's really the motivation for why it's so important to be able to see behind the words. Because there's a couple of different phenomena at play here, and one of them is what uh, what Lobachevsky calls uh, paramoralism. So all that basically is, is, again, it's just a manipulation of language. You make certain statements about what is morally right or wrong that, uh, just phrased in that manner, becomes something, an ideal by which people will live when it's completely 180 degrees opposite from the truth. So yeah, we'll get these words saying that it is wrong, it's a sin to be to, to be a dissident, to speak out against the government. It means you're a terrorist. Now, the language itself is very logical. Words can mean whatever you want them to mean if you just supply a new definition for them. So terrorist, okay, well, we all know what terrorist means. Okay, well if these people are terrorists, then you know, if so so if someone's speaking out against the government is a terrorist that's just a, an equivalence that's been created by words. And, of course, there's no basis for it, no no reasonable, um, actual connection between the words, but that connection is then formed, and that becomes a totally wrong thing to do. 
for for any citizen, and then that justifies in this fictional fantasy language the actions that come after that. And so people are completely manipulated by this just mendacious use and abuse of language. And it's pretty cunningly sinister and uh, it's the, the, the evil genius way of getting things done. And, you know, it works, but it's just, it's pretty uh, heartbreaking to see it happen. Well, we, we titled the show today, um, the ISIS vaccine. And, uh, originally had the idea to discuss a little bit of what's been happening here in the U.S. Um, there's been a big push for legislation to um, disallow religious exemption um, in various states um, as a reason not to get vaccinated. And uh, it's just been defeated here in North Carolina due to the efforts of individual, you know, people just having petitions um, and going to their local politicians and saying, no, you know, this is a really bad idea. Uh, religion is not. Vaccines are, are um, they're dangerous. And I think, you know, at least in the in the case of uh, North Carolina, the two guys that introduced the bill, um, only after two weeks of, of facing this resistance, um, probably because they were completely ignorant um, and following talking points, you know, produced by Big Pharma, um, they reversed their decision to try and push this legislation through, unlike um, California which I think suffered a defeat in this area. Um, so a few lessons there. One, I think most of these politicians, um, you know, as as has been stated in political ponderology, are just there because they enjoy their, their power until someone kind of puts some information in their face and, and, uh, and tells them that they basically have no idea of what they're talking about or trying to change. Um, so uh, it'll be interesting to see in the, in the coming months which states here fold and what the, you know, where the will is among people who are aware of these uh, egregious bits of legislation that are taking away freedoms after the other. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how that unfolds. Well, it's it's an interesting topic because it covers both the religious freedom aspect as well as the vaccines. So on one hand, you know, when we look at the religious freedoms in, in the United States, historically have been very protected. And you know, when when we see all these um these types of legislations that are you know chipping away at various freedoms that you know we don't have anymore the the religious exemption is kind of the the last uh 
the last of the Mohicans, you know, and and it seems like you know maybe this legislation is one way. Uh, these, like, these types of legislations are one way to you know begin to open the door to bring those things uh, under you know, the control of, of uh, the U.S. government. So that, that's 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 just one possibility. You know, you see you see how opening the doors for things like uh, all the uh, attacks on smoking, all the freedoms of smoking. So, so we we close the door on that, or you know we we don't we disallow things like that, and it it creates this mind frame in the public mind where it's acceptable for to have these types of intrusions uh, on you know all types of freedoms. It's not it doesn't just and there it's it's always expanding and it's always growing so it's like that it's it's an infectious disease and it's going to keep chipping away at you know these very freedoms that we think we have uh, until you know until there may not be very many left and you know we'll, we'll have to see and uh, keep our eyes open to see thing, how things progress well, it's an interesting metaphor. You know, you're, they want to um, take away your choice to uh, be able to resist getting vaccinated, um, basically with an infectious disease, uh, among other poisons and toxins. And, uh, you know, I'm sure Sister Show has covered this. In fact, I know they have, and, and they'll probably do it a lot better than we have. Um, but it it is a uh, it is an incredible thing to to watch. There was also a story that came out recently about Gary Nell, who is like a, a pioneer in radio and and uh, and books and other mediums on the subject of uh, natural health. The guy practically um, opened the floodgates for these types of um, radio shows and information. And uh, he was going on progressive radio to do a show called Guns and Butter um, in California to discuss this legislation. And uh, he was basically not allowed to. He was like the head of the uh, that particular radio station, um, which is part of the network of radio stations that he speaks on regularly. Uh, canceled his appearance at the last minute um, and dispatched. And, uh, and so you have, you have the war being fought not only politically, but in the media as well. Um, and so, and, and that's really, that's really where it is. It's, it's politicians uh, falling back into the default way of thinking on these things. Um, which is, you know, if the government says it's good, it must be good. And people who have these managerial positions who might be threatened in their own political spheres, unless they cut guys like Gary Nell, who who are probably uh, very powerful precisely because they're speaking the truth on these matters. Well, I'm out of news. I'm newsed out. 
Dennis, any other stories that we want to cover? Well, I just, I just wanted to say one more thing, actually. I've said it before, but I'll say it again. In regards to terrorism, I think there are about maybe three categories of terrorists. The first are just the, you know, kind of mentally deficient, psychopathic dupes that think it's uh, going to be a jolly good time to go over to the Middle East and kill some people, in addition to other things. And you'll find those people in any culture, any country, any religion. They pretty much, you know, stretch across the board of humanity. So kind of the uh, foot soldiers? Yeah. Yeah. Then there's the guys that know what they're doing and know who they're working for. So those are the guys that are agents of Western intelligence. And then there are the, just the kind of... Um, Kind of falling, kind of falling in the first category. Just the total patsies that are that are just manipulated into positions, um, radicalized, told certain lies, given money to do things that they may, that they wouldn't otherwise do without the pressure exerted on them by another person. Well, and that leads me, I guess, to to the third or the fourth category of terrorists, and those are the CIA handlers and the FBI handlers that are the people that radicalize these these Muslims and pay them and create terrorist plots, whether they go through with them or not. So those are the biggest terrorists on the planet. So if you're, you know, if anyone's scared of ISIS or you think they're a big threat, they're only a big threat because the guys giving them the orders are a bigger threat and those are the guys living in the United States and calling the shots. So I just wanted to throw that in there. A little uh, a little ISIS vaccine. You know, if you're afraid of catching the ISIS virus, it's actually the the ice US virus. Mm-hmm. And on that note <laughs> Well, thanks for listening, everybody. Um, we hope you've enjoyed our show. And uh, do look forward to tuning in next week and following weeks as we continue to uh, delve into the depths of depravity and uh, effort to understand this world we're living in. And not to say that all of it is depraved, but uh, it certainly (laughs) (laughs) appears that way. Um, And... We'll see you very soon. Don't forget to tune in to Behind the Headlines uh, tomorrow at, I believe it's 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Mm-hmm. And Monday, the oh, health and... Not Monday. It's going to, the health and wellness show is going to be on Friday. It's been moved. Yep, on, uh, at 10 a.m. Eastern. So you can tune in then. There will be no health and wellness show on Monday because it has been rescheduled from now on unto eternity. And if you can't tune in on uh, Friday at 10, you can always download it at your convenience. And there's a ton of excellent information from there as well if you haven't heard it yet. And yeah, on that note, thank you, Harrison and Shane and all our listeners for tuning in. All Take right. care. Thanks Take for care. listening, guys. <laughs>